Welcome back to Focus on the Light, a weekly Come Follow Me podcast. And it's funny that last episode I promised that this one would be out on time and then here it is not being. It seems to be that that's the way it goes most times. At any rate, it's here. I'm really, really excited to be talking about this week's section of the Old Testament, Genesis 28 through 33. The family of Abraham continues with Jacob. These are the chapters when Jacob becomes Israel. So let's start in chapter 28, where this all begins. In chapter 28, after the events of chapter 27, when Jacob receives the birthright over Esau, and then Esau wants to kill him, so his mother warns Jacob and tells him to flee. His father tells him not to marry a Canaanite, instead to go to his land of Padan Aram, I think is how you say it, uh, the house of Bethuel, um, and take a daughter of Laban to wife. And so that's what he does. Jacob travels to this land, to Laban, to work in his house, to find a wife for himself. During his journey there, he has an incredible experience, an incredible vision. He was laying, it says that he laid on stones for pillows in verse 11 of 28. And then in verse 12, and he dreamed and behold, a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven and behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord God stood above it. So he sees this vision, Jacob's ladder, as it's called. Now this ladder, what is, what is it that Jacob sees? What is the ladder, so to speak, that we can climb to heaven if there is such a thing? Well, this Jacob's ladder represents our covenants that we make with Heavenly Father and the necessary rungs that we have to climb to make it to heaven, so to speak. The covenants that we receive in the temple and the progression of them. The importance of Jacob marrying within the covenant so that he could reach the highest rung and receive all those covenants. President Marion Jim Romney said, Jacob realized that the covenants he made with the Lord there were the rungs on the ladder that he himself would have to climb in order to obtain the promised blessings, blessings that would entitle him to enter heaven and associate with the Lord. Temples are to all of us what Bethel was to Jacob. That is where Jacob received his covenant because we, we see in verse 13 and 14 and 15, when the Lord covenants with him, each Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, each member of that family who is a part of this Abrahamic covenant had it renewed to them. It wasn't just something that they inherited. It was renewed to them through the Lord. And this is the moment when the Lord renews that covenant to Jacob. In verses 13, the Lord was on top of the ladder and he said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest to thee will I give it and to thy seed, right? So the, play, the promise of a place, a promised land, and thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, the promise of posterity. And thou shalt spread abroad the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed, right? So, so far we've seen the two P's and the R, right? So place, posterity, and then responsibility. And then verse 15, and behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places where thou goest and will bring thee against again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. So he receives these incredible promises, but the, the last line I love there, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. I am so grateful that we have a savior and a father in heaven who keeps their covenants every time. What a reassurance. What's some, what that is something great we can rely on. Later in the chapter, great, Jacob describes this place uh, as the Lord being there right? That the Lord was there. And that was his temple experience. That same promises, those incredible promises we can receive through the temple. And then later in this chapter in verse 22, Jacob, or yeah, Jacob promises to pay tithing, a tenth of all he has because of the goodness 
of the Lord. So then we get into chapter 29 when Jacob makes it to the house of Laban and he meets Rachel uh, and falls in love with her greatly. In verse 18, and Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to thee than I should give her to another man and abide with me. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her, which I think is really sweet. But what was the purpose of him working? Well, it was just the tradition of the times that you would go and work for the father as a way to earn an inheritance, so to speak, for your daughter, that when the daughter would be married, she would receive a specific level of inheritance to bless her family, to give them them uh, resources that she was being married into. And then additionally, if divorce happened at the fault of the husband, she would have resources. That was part of their culture. And so you wanting to marry someone would work for that inheritance that they would receive. So that's what Jacob was working for, for seven years but it seemed a, a matter of days because of how highly, uh, how much he loved Rachel. But then Laban being the type of person he is at the, at the seven years, at the end of the seven years, and Jacob said unto Laban, give me my wife for my days are fulfilled that I may go in unto her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter and brought her to him. And he went in unto her. And it came to pass in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is it that thou hast done unto me? Did I not serve with thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? And Laban said, it was not be so done in our country to give the youngest before the firstborn. Right? So we see this trickery that Laban has where Jacob thought he was going to marry Rachel and said is married to the older daughter, Leah. But he loves Rachel so much that he works an additional seven years fulfill her week and we will give thee this also for the service which thou hast served with me yet seven other years. And Jacob did so and fulfilled her week and he gave him Rachel, his daughter to wife also. And Laban gave to Rachel, his daughter, Bilhah, his handmaiden to be her maid. Also, I forgot to mention earlier when they were married, Leah received Zilpah as her maid. And then verse 30, and he went and also unto Rachel and he loved also Rachel more than Leah and served with him yet seven other years. So what happened is that he served for seven years, thought he was going to be marrying Rachel and instead married the older daughter, Leah. And he got pretty upset and Laban said, okay, continue out the marriage week. I, I forget what it's called, but it was the, the week of marriage. Like that was their bridal week. So he says, figure, finish out this week with Leah uh, properly and I'll let you marry Rachel if you work another seven years. So if they finish out the week, he gets to marry Rachel, but then has to work a seven years for Rachel. So even though he's married to her during those seven years, he's still working for Rachel because he was able to marry her at the end of the week. And then both Leah and Rachel have two servants. And this marriage, the marriage of Leah to Jacob, and then eventually the marriage of Rachel to Jacob, begins a stiff competition between these two sisters for Jacob's love. We see described here that Jacob loved Rachel. That was who he wanted to marry. Um, and verse 31, and when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, Leah definitely was not hated by Jacob. That's a translation to mean less favored or less loved, not as favored. Jacob clearly loved Rachel. And I think that that's clear from the beginning. At any rate, her womb was opened up, but Rachel was barren and Leah conceived. And she called his son Reuben or surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction, right? So on and so forth. So immediately this competition begins about bearing children for Jacob back and forth. Sadly, Rachel isn't able to have children, right? So Leah 
has her the first child, Reuben. Then she has Simeon. Then she has Levi. Then Judah. Then Rachel is so sad by this that she she thinks that the that she can't have him children because she's bearing. And in in chapter thirty, verse one, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, "Give me children, or else I die." Right? She was very grieved. Um, so behold my maiden Bilhah, go in unto her and she shall bear upon my knees and may I also have children by her. And she gave him Bilhah, her handmaiden to wife and Jacob went in unto her. So in this time, this maidservant they had was their property. So even if she physically conceived a child, it was technically considered the child of Rachel because they were her property, which sounds horrible, but that's the way it was. So Rachel trying to have children not able to herself, has children through her servant Bilhah, right? So Leah gave birth to four kids, four boys, and then Bilhah, Rachel's servant, gives birth to Dan and uh, Naphtali, two children. Then Leah, seeing what Rachel did, trying to win back the affection of Jacob, gives him her servant Zilpah, and she gives birth to two children, Gad and Asher. But Rachel is still envious of Leah not being able to bear children on her own. And so in chapter 30, verse 14, uh, it talks about how Reuben had mandrakes, Reuben being the son of Leah. And so what mandrakes were is they were some type of fruit that were believed at the time to help people um, conceive, right? So um, it, it was believed that it was a pleasant fruit uh, supposed to help conception, right? So that's why Rachel wanted them. She wanted this fruit that was supposed to help her conceive because she was unable to it. And so Leah kind of responds saying, uh, so, so Rachel asked, give me that, give uh, me, I pray thee of thy son's mandrakes. And she said unto her, it is a small matter that thou hast taken my husband. And wouldst thou take away my son's mandrake also? Right? So she's saying, you already took my husband. Now you want to take my son's mandrake. You want to try and take, the ability to to bear children away from me. This is the one thing I have over you. You're not going to take this away from me. And then she says, uh, and Rachel said, therefore he shall lie with thee tonight for thy son's mandrake. And Jacob, and Jacob came out of the field in the evening and Leah went out to meet him and said, thou must come in unto me for surely I have hired thee with my son's mandrake. And he lay with her that night. Right? So they made a deal saying, Oh, Jacob will come conceive with you, Leah, if you give me of your son's mandrakes. That's how badly she wanted them to try and help her conceive. Rachel did. So Jacob goes and lays with Leah, conceives with her, and she gives birth to another son, which is technically the ninth son of all of Jacob's children. Um, The fifth that Leah has conceived uh, herself, but technically the seventh son of hers because the two conceived by Zilpah are also her son. So either way, the, the ninth son for Jacob, uh, Isaac is born. And then she gives birth to another son, Zebulun, Zebulun, I think is what it is. And then finally in chapter 31, we see Rachel is finally able to give birth to her son, Joseph. The mandrakes had nothing to do with it. It was the will of the Lord and the, the blessing of God that helped her conceive not the mandrakes, but that was the ordeal over the mandrakes. Clearly, these two sisters were competitive fighting for the love of Jacob. And the way that they did this is through conceiving children as much as possible, which is kind of interesting. And that makes up the majority of chapter 29 and chapter 30. But I thought that this was really interesting to look at the names 
of their children. Um, They indicate a reason why each child was born. So Leah gives birth to Reuben. Uh, the meaning of Reuben being to see a son in 29 verse 32. And Leah conceived and bare a son and she called his Reuben for she said, surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction now for therefore my husband will love me. Right? So she just had joy for having a son. So the meaning of Reuben is to see a son. Then when she gives birth to Simeon, the meaning of Simeon, Simeon is hearing because the Lord heard that she was hated or less loved in verse 33. Then in verse 34, she gives birth to Levi, which means to be joined. And verse 34 says, and she conceived again, bare son and said, now is the time my husband will be joined unto me because I've borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. Now she conceived again and bare a son. And she said, now I praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah um, because Judah means to praise. Then when Rachel, who is unable to have children, gives her servant Bilhah, I think how you say it, Bill, huh? to have children. She has Dan, which means judging. Because in verse third, or chapter 30, verse six, and Rachel said, God hath judged me and hath also heard my voice and hath given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan, right? So she feels a little bit of judgment that she's unable, only able to have children through her servant. Then the second son that Bilhah gives birth to is Naphtali, 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 I don't, I don't know, which means wrestling, right? Verse eight. And Rachel said, with great wrestling, I've wrestled with my sister and I have prevailed. And she called his name Naphtali, right? So it was a lot of work to try and have children for Jacob that Leah was winning. Then Leah, seeing this, like we talked about, has her servant Zilpah have children for Jacob. And Zilpah gives birth to Gad, which is a troop in verse 11. And Leah said, a troop cometh. And she called his name Gad which can also mean like good fortune, you know, good, good things are coming. Um, and that was, she was having more children, good things are coming, more ways to receive love. Then Zilpah also gives birth to Asher, which means my happiness in verse 13. And Leah said, happy am I for the daughters will call me blessed. And she called his name Asher, right? So he was feeling happy being able to have more children. Then when she gives birth to uh, Isaac her, which was as part of the negotiation that she had with Rachel for the mandrakes in verse 18. And Leah said, God hath given me a hire because I've given my maiden to my husband. And she called his name Isaac her, which means a reward, right? She'd been rewarded because through this negotiation that happened and also through uh, Zilpah. Then when she get Leah gives birth to Zebulon, that means dwelling, right? In verse 20, and Leah said, God hath endued me with a good dowry. Now will my husband dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. And she called his name Zebulon. As part of Jacob loving Rachel more, he physically lived in her tent, even though he was married to all of these women and married to Leah first, according to the traditions, you would live in the tent of your first wife. He lived with Rachel. And so Leah was saying, now that I've birthed six sons, he will dwell with me. Then when Rachel gives birth to Joseph in verse 24, and she called his name Joseph and she said, the Lord shall add to me another son. Um, Joseph means adding, which is really wonderful. But I loved what the footnote said about the name of Joseph. It says, Joseph relates to both the Hebrew root Yasef, which means to add, and to Asif, meaning both to take away and to gather. This context plays upon all of those meanings, right? So Joseph was her adding of a son, giving her another son through her own wound. 
Additionally, he was taken away, as we know in the story of Joseph that comes later, and he gathered in. Joseph and his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, are responsible for the gathering of Israel. Additionally, Jacob or Joseph did a lot of gathering with his brothers later when we get into that story with the, you know, as the play is Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, but th- th- that story. So these names and these children clearly meant a lot to them. Um, then the rest of chapter 30, we see this negotiation as Jacob is working for Laban, right? The father of Leah and Rachel for cattle, for sheep. And this like whole thing where they like peel rods and they put them a specific way. And if sheep are this way, it goes this person and sheep are this way or this person. And this whole negotiation, I don't understand it all. Um, but what I understand, um, Jacob is saying, um, saying, I will keep the flock And he says, I will pass through all thy flock today, removing from thence all the speckled and spotted cattle and all the brown cattle among the sheep and the spotted and speckled among the goats and of such shall be my hire. Meaning this will be my reward. I will take the spotted and the browned and the imperfect cattle. You will keep all the white ones because that's what people wanted. I will keep the less good ones, so to speak, that were spotted. Right? And so they kind of break up this deal that Jacob will keep watch of the cattle and the sheep but he'll take all the spotted and brown ones. And then we see what happens in the remainder of the chapter in pretty much verse 37 through the end of the chapter. We see him putting rods and things and, and, you know, all these things that he's doing. But what happens is that the the cattle were being born speckled and spotted. And so a lot of the new cattle were his, right? So did the peeled rods that he put down influence the conception of these cattle that ended up being Jacob's through this deal that they stroke up? And I loved what I I found here in studying. It said, Jacob's peeling of branches and placing them before the animals so that when they conceive they would bear multicolored offspring seems to be a reflection of a common superstition that the conception of offspring is influenced by what the mother experiences or sees at the time of conception. Nothing is known by modern science to explain any relationship between what Jacob did and what happened in the hereditary patterns of the animals. Perhaps something is missing from the text. Perhaps the Lord was just taking advantage of the virality of crossbred animals. Divine intervention certainly played a part. In any event, Jacob's herd grew and the Lord blessed him. And also Jacob's separation of the flocks follows principles of good animal husbandry and would have increased the likelihood of having multicolored animals. Whether the sticks, the rods that he peeled did anything, Jacob felt like they were doing something. Even if it was just superstition, this is what I like. It was divine intervention. But Jacob wasn't just sitting around like, oh, just send out the cattle and let them mate. Hopefully the Lord will give me spotted cattle. No, he, he intervened and tried to do something through his own power to gain spotted cattle. And again, it was an example to me of what I pointed out that happened earlier with Abraham and then with Isaac. These weird circumstances in which the Lord blesses them, they receive great uh, prosperity through very, very interesting means. This happens because Laban is a really horrible person to work for, and he keeps tricking Jacob and not paying him. So finally he goes to strike up a deal and says, hey, give me all the spotted cattle. And then all of a sudden, the cattle start giving birth to a lot of spotted. And it wasn't just divine intervention. Jacob did 
things in his own power, everything he thought he could to influence it, ultimately was a divine intervention. And I think that that's a wonderful way to look at our life as we try to achieve something, do everything we feel we're capable of. Ultimately, it comes through the Lord's intervention. I just love that. So now we're in verse or or chapter 31. So chapter 31, the Lord commands Jacob to go back to Canaan, right? Again, in verse three, return unto the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred and I will be with thee, right? And so the Lord talks about how, um, or or Jacob talks about and, and counsels with his wife. This has been a difficult place to live. You know, I've worked for your fathers, uh, and you've seen the way he is towards me and, and kind of, you know, he's deceived me 10 times, but, um, he says this twice, but the God of my father hath been with me. And then verse seven, but God suffered him not to hurt me. And I think, you know what, working for someone for 14 years to be tricked, have your wages changed over and over and over again, that would be really hard. But I love Jacob's perspective that he says the Lord was with him, that he was unable to be hurt, that even when Laban was angry towards him, he was unable to be hurt and he was able to have all these children. I think that sometimes we might look at those circumstances and think, you know, Jacob financially kept getting tricked and getting behind. There was financial burdens associated with this. The Lord must have not been blessing him. Or we can be like Jacob and see the ways in which the Lord was blessing us. So Jacob flees with his wives and children, all his property and all his flocks to make it back to Canaan, the land of Canaan. And Laban is all upset and chases after them uh, and is pretty upset. And one of the things that's involved in this is the images of Laban, how, how Rachel takes him and Laban is really, really upset with him. And at first I was kind of confused, like, oh, is he idolatrous? What was the big deal about Jacob going and marrying in this family if Laban isn't of the covenant anyway, if he's just as bad as the Hittites or the Canaanites who are idolatrous? Um, you know, like if Laban was an idolater, why did Jacob go all the way there to find a wife? But one scholar theorized, this is what I like, said one scholar theorized that these images were somehow tied in with the legal rights of inheritance. If this theory is correct, the possessor of the teraphim had the right to inherit the father's property, right? These images. This circumstance would explain why Rachel stole the images since her father had stolen her inheritance, like she talked about earlier. And it would also explain Laban's extreme agitation over their loss and Jacob's severe penalty offered against the guilty party, right? So it, I don't think that they were idolatrous things. If that, I, I don't know, I was kind of confused at first. Like, why would he go to these people if they were just as wicked as anyone else? Um, but I think that they mean something else. I also think that it shows the cleverness of Rachel in taking them. Okay, now we get the last part of chapter 32 and 33. As Jacob travels back to Canaan, he knows that he's going to see his brother Esau. The last time he saw his brother, he just took his birthright and flee and fled in the night because his brother was trying to kill him. And he's a little nervous, understandably so, to come back to his brother and see what's going to happen. He's, he's severely, severely afraid of this. Um, in verse 11, he, he cries out, deliver me. I pray thee from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. Right? So he's pretty scared, pretty scared. And so there's a lot of prayer that goes into this. And in verse 11, which I just read, he's praying. And 
there are so many things that I want to talk about this story. The first thing that I want to talk about is this relationship between Jacob and Esau, right? So I want to talk about that first, and then I want to talk about the just Jacob's experience. So the first thing, uh, long story short, what happens is Jacob's really nervous. He prays a lot about it. And what he does is he kind of breaks up his, his flocks and his sheep with different servants and sends them out ahead of himself so that one by one, as Esau comes to greet him, he will see uh, this, you know, section of sheep as that are a gift for him. Um, he says, he, he commanded the foremost saying, when Esau, my brother meaneth thee and asked thee saying, what, whose art thou and whither thou goest and whose are these before thee? And thou shalt say, they be thy servants, Jacob's. It is a present sent unto my Lord Esau and behold, he is, he is behind us. And so he commanded the second and the third and all the fall of the drove saying, and this is the manner shall he speak unto Esau when he find him. In essence, if Esau comes up to you and he says, who are you? And what is this? What is, or who are all these people with you? What is all this with you? Oh, they're a gift from Jacob, your servant unto you, Esau, right? And then when he meets the second group, this is a second gift for you, Esau, from thy servant Jacob and so on and so forth, right? Tries to just kind of butter him up before even meeting him. And then he, he's still nervous. He prays, he wrestles with an angel, which we're going to come back to. There's a lot to talk about that. And then in verse 33 or in chapter 33, he finally meets Esau after sending out all these presents and praying and wrestling with an angel for his deliverance. He finally meets Esau. And I had a conversation with someone at this class that I went to where we were talking about this. And he said that, that in some ways we are like Jacob. And I had this incredible conversation that talked about the relationship of Esau and how Esau was rightfully hurt in all that Jacob had done, Jacob had kind of done some weaselly things to him. He swindled them out of his birthright. He ran off in the night after stealing his blessing and uh, disappeared for 20 years. And suddenly he's coming back. Esau, it's kind of reasonable for him to be upset at, at any rate. Could, to kind of take liberties with the story, this individual really smartly presented to me that this relationship is often sometimes what we might feel as we see our life approaching the judgment bar where we're going to see our brother, Jesus Christ, that we have a tendency, send out all the good things as a gift saying, look, look, this is from my servant. Look at all these, look at all the home teaching I did. You know, I served a mission. Look at all the family history I did, right? Whatever. And I'm, I'm serious. I feel like, man, and when I get there, can they list all the good things first so that I, they might be a little more merciful to me. And even still, there's, there's this great fear that we have in meeting them. And then he asked this great question. He said, what type of reaction are you hoping to have when you meet your brother, the Savior? And then see how Esau reacts. So he finally sees them. And in verse 3 of chapter 33, Jacob passed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother, right? So not only did he send out all these gifts, he flopped himself on the ground and just bowed himself, really trying to humble himself. But what did Esau do? And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they went. And he lifted up his eyes and saw the woman and the children and said, who are these with thee? And Jacob said, the children with God hath graciously given me. What a blessing that we have a forgiving brother who I'm sure will be excited to see us like Esau was 
I'm grateful for the atonement of Jesus Christ that makes forgiveness something that we can receive, but also that there is someone we will meet at that day who so desperately wants to forgive us. If we'll, as we discussed earlier, follow the ladder, take those covenants, that is that level of forgiveness is something we can receive, which I just loved. Now, to change gears, to go back to experience of J- Jacob, to, to go back to the real thing, to taking back the reality of this experience, Jacob is afraid of his brother Esau. Esau was genuinely trying to kill him earlier. And so there's a lot of fear that happens. And we talked about earlier, at the very beginning of this, he receives an incredible promise from the Lord in 29 verse 15, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I've spoken to thee. And it gives Jacob a measure of confidence that he speaks to the Lord with. And he said, and thou sayest, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sands of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Right? And this is right after he's asking for deliverance. So in essence, in his prayer, he's saying, you promised that I would have great seed and prosperity. How is this going to happen if my brother kills me? There's a lot of fear. A lot of confusion. How is this going to work out if you promised me this? You said you would do this. And later, as we see, this kind of starting in verse 24, that Jacob wrestled in his prayer. It says he wrestled with his man, but I'd like to see, imagine him wrestling with God in prayer. Uh, and the, the person who Jacob's wrestling with in verse 26 says, and he said, let me go for the day breaketh. And Jacob said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. <laughs> I, I don't think this is how it went, but I like to imagine that there's an angel there that Jacob runs and tackles. And the angel says, let me go. And Jacob says, no, not until you bless me. And I think that it's very, very realistic that those moments of fear, those moments of pressure can send us to our knees a little more. A section of scripture I love as a savior is bleeding from every pore in the garden of Gethsemane, the scriptures describe him as praying more earnestly. Perfect individual prayed more earnestly. That means that there were other prayers that weren't as earnest. Some prayers demand a severe level of work, a more intense level of work. And often those times they come in moments of trial, fear, and suffering. And that is okay. But more than just praying, there needs to be a level of confidence in what God has promised you. There was a talk that I read from Elder Holland on my mission. Specifically, it was given to mission presence, talking about mission presence. He, he said something along the lines of, if we need to call down miracles, we'll then call them down. And I will never forget that. Maybe in moments followed by the spirit, it's okay to go to the Lord and say, you promised me this. Please fulfill that promise because the Lord does. He always fulfills our promises and it's okay if those times come from moments of fear and moments of pressure, but we have to be willing to put in the work. We have to wrestle. I love what come follow me said. 
I'll just read the whole thing. It says chapter 28 and 32 of Genesis tell of two spiritual experiences that the prophet Jacob had both happened in the wilderness, but under very different circumstances. In the first, Jacob was traveling to his mother's homeland to find a wife along the way, he spent the night on a pillow of stones. He may not have expected to find the Lord in such a desolate place, but God had revealed himself to Jacob in a life-changing dream. And Jacob declared, surely the Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. Years later, Jacob found himself in the wilderness again. This time, he was on his way back to Canaan, facing a potentially deadly reunion with his angry brother Esau. But Jacob knew that when he needed a blessing, he could seek the Lord, even in the wilderness. You may find yourself in your own wilderness seeking a blessing from God. Maybe your wilderness is a difficult family relationship, such as Jacob had. Maybe you feel distant from God or feel that you need a blessing. Sometimes the blessings come unexpectedly. Other times it is preceded by a wrestle. Whatever you need, you can discover that even in your wilderness, the Lord is in this place. The Lord keeps his promises. Remember them, rely on them. And if, if need, call them down, but understand that there is a wrestle that's needed in our part. The wrestle in that moment, but also beforehand, the ladder, the climbing of those rungs, they entitle us to heaven. That is the way we make it there and can call things down as needed to continue with that analogy. And then we see something incredible that happens with Jacob. When he says to the angel, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince, hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, tell me, I pray thee thy name. And he said, wherefore it is that thou doest does ask after my name. And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. The footnote for Israel, the name of Israel in verse 28, he perseveres with God. It also means like God prevail as President Nelson has thought. Or the footnote for C, which says, but Israel, for as a prince, it says, but Israel, for thou hast persevered with God. Persevere. Continue. Wrestle an angel down and don't let him leave if you have to, but persevere. And you will prevail. You will be preserved. As you let God prevail, I think it's also important to remember to persevere with God to persevere in those moments of wrestle. But not just to persevere, to persevere with God. There are blessings that we are unable to receive on our own. Whether it's sheep being born spotted, it's not a stick that changes things, it's divine intervention. But as we do our part, it brings that intervention from God. He is so good at keeping his promises. He's so good to us. Ultimately, the promise of forgiveness and redemption offered through Jesus Christ. I'm so grateful for that. I'm very grateful for these scriptures. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I apologize again for the delay that this episode had. Hopefully next week will be more on time. It's good to get back to this. Not having a job has been difficult for me in ways that I did not expect. So I'm trying to do the essential wrestling to get out of this. So thank you for persevering with me as, as patience is required. I appreciate it. 
I'd love to hear your thoughts on these chapters or any other chapters coming up. You can do so by emailing me, which is focusonlight13 at gmail.com. That's the number 1313, also linked below. If you want to share the show, there's a link tree below, which is a really easy way to share the show because people listen to podcasts and many different platforms. So the link tree, you can share with them and they can find their preferred platform and so trying to have to do it for them. So additionally, you can just tell them to look for Focus on the Light wherever they get podcasts. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your patience. And uh, I will talk to you next week.